this morning. We're going to continue on in this series, Know Ye Not, and this is part three. Really, it's part four, but it's part three. If you remember, I've done one called Know Ye Not. It's, it's uh, different than this altogether, and I've done it a couple or three years ago. So this is Know Ye Not, part three in this series. First Corinthians chapter three, and we're going to read two verses, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and verse 17. The Word of God says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Father, take of your own word this morning and inscribe it in all of our hearts. Speak to us severally, individually, as you deem it fit to do so, and glorify your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. May your Spirit have free course in this place this morning as you take your own divine and inspired word and wing at home the hearts. So glorify your name, we pray. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen. Notice verse 16. Know ye not. Now there's others. We might need two weeks on this because if you're going to take notes, get your pen ready because uh, I'm going to give you quite a lot to chew on this morning. I'm going to have to maybe split this up into two because there's so much. Verse 16 says, Know ye not that ye are present tense Christian, not will be, but at this moment, in this place, at this point in time, the blood-washed, the redeemed saint, the child of God, know ye not, or do you not know that ye are right now the temple of God? Everywhere you go, you're the temple of God. Everywhere you uh, work, you're the temple of God. Whether you're in Portadown or Belfast or wherever you are, you're the temple of the living God, the Spirit of God, capital S in the verse. Uh, the Spirit of God means the Holy Spirit lives in you. So everywhere you go, Christian, that is blood-washed, born-again believer, everywhere you go, you are the temple. You're a living or a lively stone. We are the conglomerate temple joined together this morning, lively stones building up together, a temple for the Holy Ghost. And you are wherever you are, you are, you are, wherever you are at home, in your workplace, in your society, whatever street you walk down, whatever estate you live in, or whatever house you belong to, you are, as a blood-washed, born-again child of God, the temple of the Holy Ghost. You're the temple of of the living God. Notice, know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. So whenever you can't, whenever you're weak, whenever you're tempted, whenever you're tried, whenever there's trouble, whenever you're weary, whenever you feel like you're wandering, remember you carry the Holy Ghost. You are the temple of 
of the Holy Spirit. Now, the word temple, underline it. The word temple is the word naos or naos. English rendering N-A-O-S. And we're going to have to do a bit of delving in this morning to show you more that you'll leave here this morning realizing that I am the temple of the Holy Ghost. That I am the temple of the Spirit of God. And no matter where you are, Christian, you carry Christ with you. This building that we're in at the moment is not the church. We are the church. In fact, the word church could be looked at as well. We maybe do a study on it sometime. We talk about the church, and the Bible mentions the church, but really it's the ecclesia. It's the called out. We are the called out ones because the church can also mean the cirque, and it comes from the word circle, which can be used in wrong circles, as in evil practices. And we are sort of witchcraft and things like that would use the cirque. So we must look at we are the church. We are the blood-washed, but we are the ecclesia. That is, we are the called-out, blood-washed, born-again, redeemed saints of God. You're the temple of the living God. Now, the word temple, naos, comes from a root word, and it's the word neo. And this is what it means. It means to dwell simply to reside. So when we get the word naos from naos, that means God dwells, God resides in you. Now this word is a peculiar word because it's used of the the temple in Jerusalem. For example, there are two main words for the word temple, T-E-M-P-L-E. The first word that is Hiron or Hirion. And it means the structure, the brick, the mortar, the precincts. The brick, the mortar, this is our temple. The brick, the mortar is the precincts, or we could call it the church building. It spoke of the great edifice which took 40 years in building of the second temple of Herod there in Jerusalem. And so then you have the outer court, you have then the the holy place behind the first veil, the holy of holies behind the second curtain. So it was little compartments as you went through the temple. It was a pattern from the tabernacle in the wilderness, now built in Jerusalem. We have the outer court. Through the the first curtain, we have the holy place. Then we have the holy of holies or the most holy of all. And it was there where the Spirit of God came down upon the Ark of the Covenant in the temple. And there the high priest went in once a year. Now, there's something I have to show you in a little minute about this. And it might shake up your thinking about these things. But stay with me. So the word Hirion is the bricks, the mortar. It was the temple precincts. But then the naos was that inner sanctuary the Holy of Holies. That was the naos. It means God came down and dwelt there. And he said to Moses, when it was a tabernacle in the wilderness, I will meet you there and speak with you there. Nowhere else in the whole world but there. And now in the temple in Jerusalem, we find the naos is the Holy of Holies, the most holy. Let me give you uh, a little bit of uh, if we can call it teaching or examples on this, and I hope it, it, it helps you by the time 
you're finished. It might shake up your theology a little bit, though. Listen to this. Luke chapter 1, write it down. You can read it when you go home. I'll give you an outline of the story. Zacharias, the priest, is in the temple. Zacharias has a visitation, and it says he's ministering as he would. In the te- he's doing his job, in other words, in the temple. And Gabriel, the angel, comes and tells him that his wife, Elizabeth, is going to be with child, and this child is going to be great, and this child is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. That is John the Baptist that later comes from that. Now, when Zacharias is in the temple, and he's there and he's ministering, there's a lot of things happen which people don't seem to realize. How privileged a position Zacharias was in for this one year, for this one year alone. For example, in Luke chapter 1 and verse 9, it says of Zacharias, his lot was to burn incense. That was his job. His lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Verse 21 of Luke chapter 1 tells us, the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. Remember, he tarries or waits so long in the temple because he's meeting up with the angel Gabriel, having a conversation about Elizabeth, who's going to bear a son, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is important because you're going to find out how you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And so the people outside, here's what generally happens in this time frame and at this time period. There were 20,000, 18 to 20,000 priests in Jerusalem around this time of the year. And of course then, what they did was every year they picked out three priests. If you were to read Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 1, it says of a high priest, he has taken or picked out from among men. Many scholars believe that Zacharias was actually the high priest that year and that the high priest changed every year. Although they were all from the line of Aaron, from the Levitical priesthood. Notice here, the reason they say that is because we also read in the Scripture when our Lord Jesus is born, and then at the time of his crucifixion, 33 years later, there's Annas and Caiaphas are the high priests in Jerusalem. Well, there can only be one high priest if there's only one, and he dies, and then he takes up succession. So Annas and then his son-in-law was Caiaphas. They were from the same family line. It's believed they served for one year. Christ being on, and the next one was chosen out of it. He served for one year. But Christ being our great high priest in the heavens, he's the only great high priest, and he serves, as it were, the sanctuary of the heavens, and he prays and intercedes on our behalf continually. He's after the order of what's known of Melchizedek, the one without beginning and without ending. Now, stay with me. Many believe that Zacharias was the high priest this year, and at the time of Zacharias, right through the period when our Lord speaks of the temple in Jerusalem, when he visits the outer courts of the temple, 
when they say, look at this great edifice, the disciples point it out to him, and he says, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up again. And people thought they, he meant the inner sanctuary, the holy of holies, because they said, destroy this naos, the inner sanctuary, the holy of holies, where the high priest would have met with the presence of God and sprinkled the blood. But we're told the naos he spoke about was his body. Destroy this body, this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. Because they said, Lord, it's 46 years it took in the building of this temple. How come you're going to tear it down and raise it up in three days? Jesus used the word naos. Remember, the naos is the inner sanctuary where the high priest went, where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the presence of God came down, and nowhere else. That's the naos. The whole building was a hereon. So when Jesus says, I'm going to destroy this temple or this naos, they thought he meant the building. So you know the accusations they brought to the Lord Jesus, don't you? This is him that said he would destroy the temple. And build it in three days again. That's one of the accusations to have him crucified. But he didn't say that. He was speaking. It says, the Bible says, he spoke of his body. The naos. Why? Because in his body was God. The presence, the actual person, the deity of God was in him. He is the temple of God. So destroy this temple, he says. They crucified him, put him in a tomb, and he was raised on the third day. The temple was rebuilt, as it were, on the third day. Is everybody with me? Okay. Some people are looking at me like a, a cow through a new gate. It's my American friend tells me that. So here we have this man, Zacharias. He's chosen... He's in a very uh, privileged position to, at this who minister. But the problem is, many of the scholars think at this time, from Zacharias even, right through to our Lord Jesus, and right on till AD 70, until uh, Titus came and tore the building down, or had his soldiers tear the building down. Many people think that in that period, the Ark of the Covenant, which was in the Holy of Holies, wasn't there. So now we're going to look at this, because what did they do? We, we are told that they, they, they take three priests from among the Levitical Aaronic line. Notice this. One was to cleanse and prepare the altar. Preparation for the fire. The other was to kill the sacrifice, then help with the altar. And the third most privileged one that was picked was to take the incense. And many say that he went in to what is known as the foundation stone and laid it upon the foundation stone, the incense. The incense speaks of prayer in the Scripture. So Zacharias, this is a once-in-a-lifetime uh, uh, beautiful, privileged thing to do. And him with a whole heart, he, he decides, 
I, I, I'm going to go in and do my utmost and do my best. And as he goes in, the people follow, the crowds follow, and they'll come to the outer court of the temple. And you're told the people wait on the three priests, one on the left of him, one on the right of him. The three priests walk in and two start to minister. And as they start to minister, he goes on ahead after they're finished ministering. These two priests turn again and come back outside. And the people by this time are on their knees with their hands out praying while the ministry is going on in the tabernacle. In other words, he's interceding for these people. Now they're expecting him to come back out. And he takes a long time. I wonder, is Zacharias dead? They might say. So when they go in, it says in Luke chapter 1 verse 21, the priests waited for Zacharias and marveled that he took so long time. Listen, in the temple. Now this is why they think he was a high priest, because only the high priest could go in there. The word temple is the word naos. So Zacharias went into the naos, the very inner sanctuary. And when he come and dwell with Israel, And when he was coming out again, these people are wondering, what's going on, Zacharias? Where, where are you? There's a, a, some of the, the writings, um, the ancient writings of the Jews would say that the people outside would say these words. May the merciful God enter the holy place and accept with favor the offering of his people. That's what they would pray. Zacharias is still in there and he hasn't come out because he's meeting with Gabriel and they don't know it. But when Zacharias comes back out again, what he's meant to do is pray the Aaronic blessing over the people. So here comes Zacharias. These people have been saying, Lord, be merciful. And this is going to show you that all your religion means nothing if you're not right with Christ. Because Christ takes his presence, God takes his presence from the temple, never to be there again, and makes you the temple. Here he comes, Zacharias, after meeting with Gabriel. No one knows. He's meant to be giving them the Aaronic blessing. You'll find the Aaronic blessing is in Numbers chapter 6. Verses 24 to 26. So here he comes, and here's the blessing. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Then the singers of the Levites would start to lift their instruments and praise the Lord. The people would be in raptures an ecstatic praise before God because now they've had the blessing of the Lord. Now they've had the Aaronic blessing. But listen, this time, Zacharias walks out and what happens? The angel Gabriel says, you'll call him John and this will be a sign. You won't be able to speak. So he comes out 
Man meaning to give the Ornick blessing. The people are waiting for it, and he's like, he couldn't give them the blessing. You know why? I believe because there was the start of the Holy Ghost. Your wife's going to conceive. John will be filled with the Spirit. His first words are, repent to them and believe the gospel. And unfortunately, in many of the churches today, all they want to hear is five ways to have a blessed life, ten ways to get rich. Many of them want to hear that. They want to hear the blessing. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. And they want to hear the, 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 the claps on the back and the there, there, there's. And the, the, they want the, the, the bottle fed all the time. They want the soft stuff, but they don't want the Word of God. And they don't want to be told from the Word of God what God says. They don't want to hear the word repent. Our nation doesn't want to hear the word repent. And so the Lord has this man come out. He's meant to be given an ornate blessing and he can't speak because God is saying, the next voice they'll hear from me will be your son, Zacharias. Call him John. And he is the one, the voice in the wilderness. Repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Can you see all of these things, what God was doing and people miss them? There's many, much teaching in the churches today where Christians don't need to repent. Brothers and sisters, if you don't want to repent, then you don't do repent. I come to my father every day and I repent. I repent for my lack of worship to him. Do you ever repent of that? Your lack of worship, your lack of prayer. Do you ever repent for your lack of thanksgiving on to him. Things will change when we start to repent. Notice here, saying about, and this is, this is just my own thoughts and findings. I'll not be dogmatic on it, but let me just bring you back into the Holy of Holies again, the Naos for a moment. In the Roman era, where Christ was and, and around there, and there's writings called the Midrash, and it's called, there's a writing of three gatherings of writings, and mainly, mainly they're, they're just people's thoughts, they're, I, I mean, you know, scholars' thoughts, and it's called the Tanuma. And listen to what, I, I picked this up and I thought it was, I thought it was strange what they thought, yet they missed it all. This is, this is what they, they write about the holy place in the temple of Jerusalem. They write, as the navel is set in the center of the human body, center of the world, of Israel, the navel of the world, situated in the center of the world, and Jerusalem is the center of the land of Israel. And the sanctuary in the center of Jerusalem, and the holy place in the center of the sanctuary, and the ark in the center of the holy place. 
So they bring you right into the Holy of Holies to where the ark was. A.D. 70, it was destroyed. They rejected Christ. And all along, the third temple was being built. What's the third temple? We are it. He is building his temple every day. Adding living and lively stones. Building it up. Now listen. In the holy place, there's what's known as the foundation stone. You're bound to have heard of it, Jennifer. Has any of you been to, been, I know not to, not to Jerusalem, but have any of you been and seen this foundation stone? He's been, you've seen it. It's just like the top of the rock and they've, it's like the, the, the mountain comes up. Well, it's believed that the Ark of the Covenant was here when the temple was here, the Dome of the Rock, the Islamic Dome of the Rock is there now. But it's also believed that the censer of cones, as Zacharias would have been doing, of the incense, would have been probably sat on top of this. Here's something about this. They call it the foundation stone. Do you know another name of it? The pierced stone. Pierced. And they call it the pierced stone because there's a hole in the stone right the whole way through, and there's a cavern below, and they call it the well of souls. Now, note this. Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 28 and verse 16 says, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation stone. Now, take note here. This is 750 years before Christ. I lay in Zion for a foundation stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, and he that believeth shall not make haste. You'll be strengthened in this. You can stand on this, as it were. But take note again. Now, that's pre-cross. Now, post-cross, looking back to the cross. The apostle Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. Listen to what he says. Wherefore, it is also contained in the Scripture. Where, Peter? Where is this what you're going to tell us contained in the Scripture? Well, it's contained in Isaiah 28 and verse 16, which we've just read. Notice. Wherefore, it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Pause a minute. First of all, Isaiah, speaking of Christ over 700 years to come, talks of this foundation stone. They believed, actually, there, there are those in the in Talmudic writings, I do not uh, uh, advocate the Talmud. It's an evil, wicked book. Do not get nor read the Talmud. It is from the pit of hell. Do not read the Talmud. But even those in other writings say this foundation stone was the beginning of all creation, that Adam was made here. That's what they say. But notice this. Isaiah looking toward Christ's coming talks of the foundation stone, like the ark that Noah sailed in was a type of Christ. 
like the lamb that's slain, was a foreshadowing looking to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah seems to be talking about this stone, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, where the Ark of the Covenant would be, where the where the mercy seat would be, where the blood would be sprinkled, where where the glory of God would come down on. Now I notice this, for he says, and he that believeth on him. Isaiah's talking about it, the rock. Peter, looking back, realizes Isaiah was talking about him. It represented Christ. Verse 7, Unto you, therefore, which believe, he, there it is again, this cornerstone, this sure foundation, this foundation stone, he, who's he? Christ. He is precious. Notice here, but the stone which the builders disallowed, the same as made the head of the corner, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, and be disobedient. Therefore, also they were appointed. What's Peter talking about? Peter's looking back to the rock, who is Christ, the foundation stone, who is Christ, who was spoken of by Isaiah, who is Christ. And they're saying, they're looking at this lump on the top of a mountain hill. But Christ is the pierced one. He is the one who rescues men and women from the well of souls or those who are going to hell. Peter's saying, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. He says, you are an holy nation. He said, you are. But to them, it was appointed that they would know him. That's election. Can you see now how they're so fixated on the mountain and on the trappings? There's people in churches from all walks of life, both sides of the divide, and they're more about trappings and rituals and, and, and all those sort of things and, and trying to do the right thing rather than believe and accept by grace through faith that Christ has paid our debt. He cried, it is finished, and it's paid in full. And they're trying to work their way to God's kingdom. God is finished with the temple, brothers and sisters. And God is building his temple. Know ye not that ye are the temple? So know ye not. God has called us, Peter says, out of darkness. And into his marvelous light. Is it any wonder in 1 Corinthians 3 and 11? Is it any wonder that Paul says, For other foundation can no man lay than that was laid? This is Jesus Christ. What's the foundation? He is the foundation. It's not the stone, it's not the ritual, it's not the gathering around a temple. It's being the temple, the temple of God. So notice here. Zacharias comes out and can't speak a word and he can't give a blessing. 
In Luke chapter 23 and verse 45, if you want to turn to it while I get a drink. Now I will have skipped 33 years or so. 34. This is Calvary. This is the cross. This is the great sacrifice of the Lamb of God. Luke 23, verse 45 says, And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. I have done the teaching before. I believe Jesus wasn't crucified at Gordon's Calvary. Don't believe that. Neither was he at the Holy Sepulchre. Don't believe that. He was at the Mount of Olives. I believe he was crucified on the Mount of Olives. You can look that teaching up online because you know, the, the, the temple faced east and there was the curtain, the great big curtain of the temple where they went behind where the presence of God was to come down. And there he faced, you faced east. So Jesus had to be further east, which is the Mount of Olives, to be able to look west toward the temple to see the curtain rent. Plus there's measurements. I've done, I've done a teaching on that. You can look it up online. Notice here. The sun is darkened. Sky turns black. And we're told that the temple or the veil of the temple was rent in two. From the top to the bottom. Right in that holy place where the naos was in the building. Inside, the inner inside. There it is and there's the big curtain that was rent in two. And Jesus hanging on the cross could look and see this. And as Jesus hanging on the cross looking to see this, he could see right into that holy of holies. No one else could see there. He could see right into it. And because he could see right into it, he looks, he cries it is finished. The curtain was rent from the top to the bottom. As if you got a sheet of paper from the top and tore it like this. They had a tort from the bottom and ripped up that way. They could have maybe said a man. Men done it, cut it and done it. Even though it was so big and thick, they probably couldn't. But they could have said, um, he, he sent some of his followers to do it. No. It was rent from the top to the bottom. What is it, 40, 60 feet high? God took it like this and he rips it down the butt middle. Jesus sees it and he says, It is finished. Now the veil in the temple is the veil of the naos. You know what God was saying? Think about this now. Imagine the big curtain down. And he rips it down. God was saying, look, I'm not here. Look, I'm not here. We find in John chapter 2 and verse 19, when Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. God is saying, look, I'm here. At the temple with the curtain torn, God was saying, look, 
so big of an edifice. I'm not here. The temple of Jesus' body, the naos of Jesus, was crucified. He went to the tomb, and God raised him the third day, and God was saying, look, I'm here. For please God that in him should all fullness dwell. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Not body is the tabernacle of God. It's the temple of God. He ascends into heaven and he sends forth his blessed Holy Ghost. And there were 120 in the upper room. And they heard, as it were, uh, like a, a sound like as of a rushing mighty wind. And there came and sat upon each of them cloven tongues like as of fire. And what happened? They all began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You know what the Lord was saying? Look, I'm here. You know what's wrong with most of us in the church today? We think the Holy Ghost is just for conviction at the point of conversion, and He finishes with us. He continues every day to enable and to equip us, and to give us the unction of His power. Jesus is alive, brothers and sisters. Notice here, the veil of the naos was rent. Jesus says, destroy this naos, his body, and in three days I'll raise it up again. In Acts chapter 7, verse 48, and the next 17 and verse 24, listen to what it says. How be it? The Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Does that say that in your Bible, does it? Howbeit, the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands. I don't want the burst bubbles. I don't want the upset. They're all talk about a new temple in Jerusalem, the third temple. Listen, we are the third temple. And God will not be in that temple. God's in you and I. God dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Look, I remember, and I'm saying this with respect to my own father, my, my dad. Twenty-three years ago past April there, my mum passed away. And when she was ill, my dad took her to St. Anne's Cathedral in Belfast. We were all in family. We knew nothing about the Lord, the Scriptures, the Gospel, nothing about it. But my dad thought that he'd take her and prayed. And he says to me, that place she died, he says, Son, I brought her even to St. Anne's Cathedral. I was thinking at the height of that place, surely God would be in there. And he meant it with all his heart. He's now passed on, but he meant it with all his heart. And I said, Dad, God dwelleth not in temples made with hands. He doesn't dwell in that big edifice. And it doesn't matter whether it's a Protestant edifice, so-called, or a Roman Catholic edifice, or a Hindu edifice, or an Islamic edifice, or a Jewish edifice, or whatever. He doesn't dwell in edifices made with hands. He dwells in you. And he dwells in me. No, you're not. But you are the temple. I'm going to finish here and we'll do another one. God willing, next Lord's Day. 
here when we think of these things, and we think of how the apostle tells us in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 16, know you not, he's asking us the question to draw our attention. And he's saying, know you not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. He's not saying that just for the sake of saying it. And he's not saying it just to prove a point. Do you know why he's saying it? He wants the people of God to realize who they are. Kingdom seed. You know, there's this person and Oh, they're always at me in working, or this person, they're always at me in the street, or this person, and they really get me down. And well, listen, brothers and sisters, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And who is in you but the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost? Oh, that boss, I, I get nervous when I go in for that interview, or I get nervous when I'm going to see the doctor. And, I, and listen, it's normal and natural to have nerves, but listen. You go and pray to your father and say, Father, I'm going in here. You're in me. I'm going to take this interview. I'm going to see this doctor. You're going to give me the strength. Oh, we're attacked. I've seen a video from some of the boys over there in the back there from being attacked yesterday uh, and abused verbally by just young people who seem to be so away led from the LGBT. The boys were preaching the gospel and they were just up that is in you. Guys, keep going. Greater is he that is in you. He that is in the world. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost that's in you. You carry the Holy Spirit in you. You keep going no matter what your ministry is. Keep going. Here's one more verse and we'll finish. Notice 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 16. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? We are separate from the idolatrous practices of the world. For ye are present tense. This isn't when Jesus returns. Present tense. Ye are right now, this moment, in this place and wherever you go. Ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them. Are you taking that in, Christian, this morning? Are you taking that in, those of you who are weak? Those of you who are struggling? Those of you who are weary? Those of you who are down? Are you taking it in, those of you who have come under pressure? The Lord says, I will dwell in them. I will dwell in them, listen, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Brothers and sisters, the Holy Ghost also enables us to live through life. The Holy Ghost equips us for this life. The Holy Ghost changes us in this life to be like Christ. To be more Christ-like. 
Holy Ghost enables us to stay sanctified and separate for the glory of Christ. Know you not, brother, sister? Let's read that opening verse, 1 Corinthians 3 and 16 together, and that's what's finished. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. You ready? Have everybody got it? If we got it up, can you see it? You ready? Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If you're a born-again believer, would you say, the Spirit of God dwells in me? Would you say it with conviction? Now tell the devil, Spirit of God, he dwells in me. Dwells in me. Why don't you start seeking the Spirit's gifts? Since he dwells in you. Listen, he's not far away. He's in you. May God bless each and every one of you this morning.